today on 101.9 WDPM. Stephen Hendrickson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Today we're talking about the Midwest Literary Walk, which is going to be held virtually tomorrow, Saturday, April 24th. It is going to host an afternoon of interviews and talks with prominent authors. New York Times bestselling author Azar Nafisi is among those featured, and her critically acclaimed work, Reading Lolita in Tehran, is a long-running number one New York Times bestseller and has been published in 32 languages. Nazar Afisi, welcome to Detroit Today. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, so much of your writing celebrates and advocates for the power of literature and fiction. Uh, before we talk about uh, reading Lolita and Tehran, uh, talk about why you think books are so vital to culture and to society. Well, one reason books are um, vital to, as you say, culture and society is the fact that uh, uh, literature uh, is about revealing the truth. Uh, so many great authors, like right now I'm working on a new book, and the names of the authors I'm using come to mind, like Atwood, Grossman, Baldwin. They all talk about the writer as witness. The writer becomes a witness to truth. And it would be uh, a betrayal of the self, a betrayal of the writer as herself or himself, uh, to not write what he or she witnesses. And uh, the truth, as we know, is very dangerous because of the fact that uh, once you know something, then you have to do something about it. Action comes after knowledge. And um, that becomes very threatening to especially the tyrants. And my experience in the Islamic Republic uh, for 18 years, I witnessed how dangerous authors and artists had become uh, to the survival of the state, hmm. uh, uh, of the oppressive state. Right, the right. Any state. So, so talk just a little about uh, reading Lolita in Tehran, explain to our listeners uh, what it's about. And, and you know, there's something about uh, the juxtaposition of Lolita, a very controversial work, uh, and Tehran, uh, which is the capital of uh, Iran and a place that has its own controversial uh, history and, um, and I think in lots of people's minds invokes controversy. Uh, explain that to our listeners. Uh, well, you know, I can tell you literally what happened, how, uh, mm-hmm. how uh, I finally decided to r- write this book. Uh, when I was in Iran, I wanted to write about Nabokov, but I didn't want to write a literary uh, um, uh, book of criticism. I wanted to talk about um, the reality under which I read the different books by Nabokov and how that reality changed my perception of his work and his work changed my perception of reality. But I couldn't do it in Iran uh, because uh, the first paragraph of my book was to be, the first book I read by Nabokov was given to me by my boyfriend Ted, uh, who wrote in the flyleaf, um, uh, to Azar, my other love, Ted. 
And that in itself was subversive in the Islamic Republic, to talk about your personal life, mm. to talk about love, and love not just with any man, but with a man from the land of the great Satan, uh, was such a no-no. So I had to write a book which looked like literary criticism, and it was literary criticism, but it was simultaneously a criticism of totalitarian mindset, not just the Islamic Republic, but mindsets, because as you know better than I, uh, in democracies we can find totalitarian mindsets as well. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the worst, uh, heinous regimes in the world were the fascists in Germany and the communists in uh, Soviet Union. So the West is just as guilty as anywhere else. So to make a long story short, uh, because I, there were so many things like this that I couldn't write about, I wrote in my diary uh, a title, things I have been silent about, and started writing um, about my uh, strange and absurd experiences in the Islamic Republic, like going to a Gypsy King concert uh, in, the, in Tehran. Um, uh, uh, listening to singing in Tehran, dancing in Tehran, um, uh, reading Jane Austen in Tehran, and of course reading Lolita in Tehran. And when I came back to United States, uh, one of the things that struck me was how ignorant people were of uh, the lives of the actual people in that country, in Iran. They were mainly fixated on the regime. And they reduced the whole country to one aspect of it, that was the regime. And uh, so that made me more and more eager to write about Tehran. I was um, a teacher and a writer, and my field, my specialty was uh, American and English literature. So I started teaching American and English literature, and I wrote about that experience because it was the most liberating experience I had while living in Iran. It showed that when we were uh, deprived of any form of connection with the outside world, uh, when we had no space in which to, in reality, practice freedom, we practiced freedom through imagination. And we connected to the world, not through its politics, of which we were uh, critical, uh, for example, of United States, but through the best that it could offer. Namely, it works of imagination and ideas. And I wanted to bring that message from Iran to this new home, America, that there is a space where we can connect no matter where we come from and no matter who we are. And you divide this book uh, into sections, and each is given a, a title that references famous literary works. Um, talk about the organization and talk about the literary works that, uh, that you reference in it. Well, you know, I always say that I'm very promiscuous when it comes to books. Um, I love so many 
and I want to write and talk about so many, but as in other things in life, uh, you have to choose. Uh, you can't go on. So I chose books that I had taught, first of all, as a, I, as a teacher of um, English and American Lit. And I wanted to talk about the experience of teaching them, but at the same time, I chose the ones that there were sort of the color of the events that were happening at the time in Iran. For example, Lolita, no matter what, I mean, as you said, it's very controversial and there's so many um, interpretations of it, but my interpretation is that at the heart of Lolita is the idea of um, an oppressor and a victim and how in order to oppress someone, in order to gain control over them, you first take away their identity and impose your own image upon that of your victim. Mm. Lolita is Humbert Humbert's victim, and Humbert wants to refashion remake Lolita um, in the image of his dead love who died when he was 13, um, uh, Annabelle. And that is what the situation of we women was in the Islamic Republic, where they were trying to refashion us, to impose an idea that wasn't ours on us, and to, um, in order to be able to control uh, and that was uh, uh, what um, has been uh, my whole uh, focus in my writing, uh, how to resist uh, becoming someone else's um, uh, image of who you are. Yeah. Uh, and in that way, uh, you kind of navigate both personal and political uh, in the book, um, as you're as you're talking, I'm thinking of uh, you know the book dealing with heated political moments like the Iranian Revolution and the Iran Iraq War. Uh, yeah. At the same time that you're talking about making sure that you are free of uh, uh, outside influence over over your being, over your person. Yeah, and you know, you are, I actually wanted um, to bring in one of my most favorite of all writers. I wrote about him in Republic of Imagination. I finished with James Baldwin. And this new book that is coming out in spring, again, it ends with James Baldwin. Mm. Uh, one of the things that Baldwin says, which is so true, and it is also true for us living at this moment in this country, um, is that he says that uh, one of the worst things that oppressors do to you uh, is um, they occupy your whole mind. You cannot think of uh, anything else. It's sort of a claustrophobic atmosphere they create. Uh, we had that experience uh, a bit with Mr. Trump, um, that he filled all our moments and in this way took us away from ourselves. And we have to find ways of getting back to ourselves mm. and not letting hatred of something that is that repressive um, replace the joy of living and rising up to the challenge. Uh, that is what I was trying to do through literature 
when I was in Iran, and that is what many Iranians were trying to do uh, through culture, through music, through art, through literature. They celebrated the life that was taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also address gender in your writing and the discrimination that women face from the Iranian government and also on a broader societal level. And the book specifically tackles uh, the issue of veiling. Can you talk a little more about that? Well, let me first tell you something because there's this misconception that talking about, for example, the rule of the Islamic Republic is the same as criticizing Islam. It isn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, and I have said it many times, uh, I think religion here is in fact a, a victim. And to the witness to my words are the number of people who are Muslims, who are Orthodox Muslims, who have been um, harassed, tortured, jailed, and even killed by this regime uh, because they do not accept its uh, interpretation of the religion. So I first want to say that. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that hijab itself, uh, the veil itself, um, uh, is a question that we can all discuss. Uh, pro and cons, but it is not about the veil in Iran. It is about mandatory veil. Right, right. Now, what we are saying and what women in Iran, whether they, many of them, I'm not saying all of them, but many women in Iran who do wear the hijab, in fact, are saying is that no state, no power has the um, permission to tell a woman how to look, how to appear in public. Our bodies belong to us. They don't belong to you. So they're not asking for removal of hijab completely, but for removal of mandatory hijab. And that mandatory hijab became the Islamic Republic turned it into a symbol of uh, opposition to the regime. I mean, opposition to mandatory hijab became synonymous with opposition to the regime because they confiscated every gesture. They confiscated the way we looked. That's why I think Lolita is so um, relevant here uh, because uh, that is what uh, Humbert Humbert did with her. Um, And uh, Iranian women have heroically uh, fought against it up to this day as we speak. Uh, just the mother and daughter were returned to jail and given a sentence of 16 years in jail uh, for opposing the mandatory hijab. So you can see how important women are, how central they are, uh, not just to the issue of their own freedom, but to the issue of freedom. And not just in Iran, actually in the United States as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Azar Nafisi, uh, it is really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. I appreciate your talk. Yeah, and uh, you can see Nazar tomorrow at 4 p.m. Azar Nafisi at the Midwest Literary Walk, uh, Saturday, April 24th, 2021. All you have to do is register at Midwest Literary Walk. 
Org. WDET is a really proud partner with the Midwest Literary Walk, and it was great to have all of the authors who will be appearing there with us on the show this week. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Come back Monday when we're going to get an update on what's happening in the auto industry as it relates to the electric vehicle sector. And we will talk uh, all about all the things that are coming with really technology-laden vehicles uh, in our lives. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.